Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, it's been a little while, but good to be back with you. It is. Glad you're uh, back in the state here with us. Just in time for the PGA Championship and a big, big series at O'Bray Stadium this weekend. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm racking up the miles. I was at a work conference in Phoenix, Arizona, so I got back uh, last night. Uh, it's good to be back. Yeah, I'm I'm fired up for the PGA, man. I'm going to be there on Saturday and Sunday. And are you going to be there all week with the uh, the 73rd hole podcast? I will be there Monday through Sunday. So that is seven more days than Phil Mickelson will be there. <laughs> yeah, you had to uh, come on a little late because you uh, were cranking some stuff out for the golf channel. I guess Phil withdrew. Is that right? Uh, yeah, about 15 minutes before we uh, started recording this. So just crank something quick out, get it out there and let everybody know. But yeah, pretty wild that Phil won't be back to uh, defend at the PGA. It's just, you know, sometimes sports and life really do intersect as much as people don't want them to. And that's kind of what's happening right now with Phil. That shocks me. Did he give a reason? Uh, he did not give a reason. He didn't announce. The actual PGA Championship announced from their Twitter and said that he would have been welcome to participate and that he chose to withdraw. That is all the information we have. Doesn't that surprise you? That that shocks me being the defending champion. Look, I know all the we all know about the live golf controversy and everything else, but he is the defending champion. The the PGA Tour does not run the PGA Championship. Um I'm I'm pretty shocked he's not playing. Yeah, I am too. It's not a PGA Tour event and you know, the live golf stuff's on the horizon, but I thought that this could have been one week for Phil where you show up you answer questions, you be contrite, you say all the right things, and then you kind of, in a way, people are still going to celebrate you for what he did last year at Kiowa, and he chose to, to forego all of that. Uh, and I I assume he's going to play live here in a few weeks in London, but I, I have no idea, man. This whole thing has just gotten really weird. And, uh, again, it's life and sports intersecting, and sometimes that isn't always pretty. Yeah, and, look, we all know about – the Saudi Arabia stuff. I kind of have a different take on this. And look, I know this is an Oklahoma state podcast, but I just, I wanted to bounce this off you. Like, I don't know, man. Like we all know where Saudi Arabia is coming from and the horrible things that government's done. And I know the government's the one running this league and that's where it differs from other things. But where has the outrage been for a club like Manchester city in the English premier league, who's owned by a sheik? Um, I don't know. Maybe I should do more research on where this sheik actually comes from. I, I, I believe he's Saudi <laughs> Arabian, but let, let, let's table that till I do more research before I just, you know, bring up other. But before we launch into what is a pretty deeply involved conversation. Yeah, this is Oklahoma State sports guys. Let's not get into that. We'll save that for, for golf talk next time. Fair enough. I think, I think our listeners out there just exhaled as we decided not to launch into our Saudi Arabia conversation. Yeah. Probably a good call by me. Uh, let's hear from Chris University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate them sponsoring the pod. And uh, there's a lot going on still water these days, so be sure to stop by Chris's University Spirit. Colby, we have a lot to get to here. Um, 
we haven't talked in a while, uh, but I, I am out, we we did touch on in one of our more recent shows on the win totals. They are out for the Big Twelve schools. Oklahoma leads the way with the over under being nine, uh, Baylor being eight and a half, Texas eight and a half, haha, Oklahoma State eight, Iowa State seven and a half, TCU seven, K State six, Texas Tech five and a half, West Virginia five and a half, and lowly Kansas two and a half. Uh, what what do those numbers jump out to you, Colby? Yeah, I mean, to me, obviously, everybody's going to look at Texas. You see Texas with a higher win total than Oklahoma State, and that stands out because Oklahoma State uh, has been unbelievable. Josh Pate was doing some stuff on Twitter earlier talking about how great Oklahoma State's been. Eight wins in 12 of 14 seasons, seven wins in – pardon me, not seven wins, ten wins in seven of those seasons. Oklahoma State has been phenomenal, and Texas has really been the exact opposite. Carson, Texas has underwhelmed at every – turn every chance they have to be a disappointment they're a disappointment and they still have the logo you know Mike Gundy says we've got a logo too yes and we know that in Stillwater but not everybody knows that and Vegas is setting lines to get money they put Texas at eight and a half they're going to get a bunch of Texas people nationwide they're going to think this is the year to put money on the other side they're going to get a bunch of people like you and me to put money on the under and it's, it's going to kind of even out a little bit so that wasn't totally shocking but I think it does just still illustrate national perception of both Texas and Oklahoma State. And national perception, Carson, on both of those schools over the last decade has been about as far off on any two schools in the country. Absolutely. I mean, we knew Texas would come in at a high number. Obviously, that's what jumps out to me. I mean, eight and a half for a school that went five and seven last year and is missing their quarterback, Casey Thompson, who transferred. Look, I know they, they brought in the, the much ballyhooed Quinn Ewers, who was the number one quarterback in the country coming out of high school, transfers in from Ohio State. But to me, Texas has way more issues than, than just quarterbacks. So I'm, I'm hammering the under on that. Oklahoma State, I kind of thought it would come in at eight, uh, maybe eight and a half, and that's what they're at. I'm, look, OSU has some holes to fill. Certainly we've talked a lot about that on defense, certainly on offense as well, but you just look at the Big 12 as a whole and with what Spencer Sanders coming back a quarterback with the uh, the hire they made on the defensive coordinator side, the continuity they have on the offensive side coming back. I just – I would be surprised if they went under eight wins. I, I'm hammering that number as well. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I love that number at eight. I mean, I, I think you look at the schedule, and I looked at it earlier, and I actually did the game by game. And what I came up with whenever I did the game by game – was 10 and two. But then I thought, well, are you being a little bit optimistic? You lose Jim Knowles, you lose Malcolm Rodriguez, Devin Harper, Colby Harvelpe, Jarrett Bernard Coppers. You lose a lot of guys, Jalen Warren, Tay Martin. You lose a lot of guys, but you bring Spencer Sanders back. I know Spencer isn't perfect, but I feel like he and Casey Dunn figured something out in that last game. Also, uh, let's see here. Colin Oliver, Trace Young, Brock Martin, uh, Tyler Lacey. Those guys have never all four played together. And I cannot wait to see what those four look like. So, you know, when I initially thought maybe 10-2 and is a little optimistic, backing up a great season with another great season, I don't know. I I looked at it more. I thought about it more. And I think 10-2 and is very much in the cards. That's probably where I would guess they would be. I mean, and that's clearing the win total by two. So that's – I don't think that's out of question at all. So I I thought these were interesting. I mean, I I think it speaks to how down I think the Big 12 is going to be. You know, Iowa State – losing their great team. They, they're seven and a half TCU. We have no idea what we're getting out of them. K-State, Tech, West Virginia, Kansas. I, 
and Texas certainly doesn't scare you. I mean, it's really for Oklahoma State, you know, I don't want to say it's a two-game season with Baylor and Oklahoma, but, man, I think 10-2 and two might be the floor here, Colby. I mean, I, I think they could certainly beat Baylor with what they've lost on defense. Do you think 10-2 and two could be argued as, as the floor for Oklahoma State when you look at the, how down I think the rest of the Big 12 is going to be? I don't think it can be argued as the floor because I look around the Big 12 and, you know, OU's still going to be good. Look, I think Oklahoma State beats Texas. It, there's just always this thing in the back of your mind that's like, well, they do have a bunch of talented guys. What if this is the year? And it never is, but it's still always lingering there in the back of your mind. So it's, it's a game I'm going to pick Oklahoma State to win, but it's a losable game. Uh, the Baylor game, for whatever reason, Carson – Maybe Baylor shouldn't scare me. Maybe I should feel okay about that game. I really don't. That game is in Waco. Uh, I think Blake Shapin is maybe going to be a pretty good player. Uh, and I really like the fact that Dave Aranda announced him the starter down at Baylor the day before uh, the the transfer portal would have closed for Jerry Bohannon and those guys. It just uh, it, it made a ton of sense uh, for him to do that and do things the right way. Uh, they lose guys like Jalen Petre on defense, Woods, some of those guys. But I don't know. I still think Baylor's going to be pretty good. Aside from that, I, I don't know. Kansas State with Adrian Martinez, that that could be a, a trap game and sneak up on you a little bit. I think the floor, Carson, and maybe this is just pessimistic OSU football fan in me, having seen it time and time again where you, you come out and you're thinking, ah, 10-2. and two. I think the floor is probably eight and four, and that's where Vegas has the number. So if I'm saying that's the floor, I, I guess I'm kind of saying it's a no-lose proposition to throw a little money on that number. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks too good to be true, in my opinion, which is always scary, obviously. Injuries would certainly play a part of that. If Spencer Sanders gets hurt, which he's shown to do in his career, you look at that quarterback room at OSU, and, you know, it's 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 Gunnar Gundy. Uh, it's it's Rangel who's coming in as a freshman. I that would be the way you lose that bet. But I think you're just banking on the program Mike Gundy's built and things of that nature. I would be absolutely, if I'm in Vegas, I'm hammering that number. Um, what did you make of Jerry Bohannon leaving and, and Baylor, you know, naming Blake Shapin? I, Shapin played really well against Oklahoma State, but he's he wasn't their quarterback last year. Bohannon was. And look, Bohannon was not some world beater. I looked it up. He had only, he, he only threw for... Uh, he only ran for more than 40 yards once, which is supposed to be his, you know, his bread and butter is running the football. He wasn't just some electric runner. And I believe he only threw for 300 yards once all season. I'm going to look it up right now. I'm supposed to have this pulled up. Let's see here. He threw for 300 yards one time in the entire season. He only threw for more than 250 that, that 300 yard game. And then one other time. So they weren't exactly electric on offense. Maybe that's why they went with shape and throwing the football. But what, what do you make of Baylor now that, that Bohannon's not there with, with shape at the helm? Yeah. I mean, I think that they could actually be a better offense. Jerry Bohannon was, I mean, he was a gamer. He was tough, man. And he would make plays in some big moments and he had some intangible stuff and, and you can't teach intangible stuff. And he was a good player, but Blake Shapin throws the ball better than Jerry Bohannon ever threw the ball. And I think that that's going to allow Baylor to do a little bit more offensively. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. They, Vegas has them uh, listed ahead of Oklahoma State. I just – I think really highly of Dave Aranda as a head coach. I think he does a great job. I think we've seen that in his time at Baylor already, winning a Big 12 championship and coming up with those stops uh, last year against Oklahoma State. I mean, we, we all talk about the failures of Oklahoma State offensively, failing to, to get that last yard to win a Big 12 championship. 
I mean, I'm sure in Waco they're talking about, I mean, that that's Dave Aranda football. You you might get to that one yard line, but if you need to win the game and you need to get one more yard, you're going to have to earn it. We're not going to give it to you. And, you, you know, that's Dave Aranda football, and you have to respect that. Um, so, yeah, I think Baylor will be a good team, and I think I think Shapin was the right call because Bohannon, he, even though I think he's a good college football player, uh, I think his ceiling probably a little bit lower than Shapin's. I would agree with that. I think they're definitely more dangerous on offense with, with Shapin. That's why they made the call. But much like Oklahoma State, not much in the quarterback room behind their starting quarterback now with Bohannon leaving. Um, OU at nine, I think that's probably the right number for them. I mean, they're still OU. And as much as I like Brent Venables, Colby, I, I think there's some I think there's some money to be made on the under. Look, I like Dylan Gabriel. He's he's done a lot in his career. Um but OU's got a lot to do on offense with, uh, you know, with Lincoln Riley leaving, and they're not, they're still not dominant defensively, and they lost a lot of guys to the NFL. I mean, they lost a lot of guys in the linebacker core, defensive line. I think OU's right for the picking at on the under there. I just it's scary about the under on OU at nine wins. Yeah, I don't know that I can get there, Carson, because you you know. You ever go to the Y or back whenever we were in Oklahoma State? You go to the Colvin, you play pickup basketball, and there's one guy, right, who always tries way too hard. It's like maybe he's a little bit smaller, maybe he doesn't shoot that well, and he's got something to prove, and he just tries way too hard. I think OU is still trying to prove to their ex who dumped them that they are still the bell of the ball. And I think OU is going to be trying so hard all spring all summer, all fall, every single game, all 60 minutes. I, I really – I think that, that Brent Venables is going to play up the card. You know, everybody's doubting us. And weirdly, I think OU, which has dominated this conference, is going to create this chip on their shoulder because Lincoln Riley left them for Los Angeles. Uh, and I think that OU is going to be the tryhard in the conference. Um, I, I don't know. I actually – I kind of feel the opposite way that you do, Carson. I, I kind of feel like OU is, to me, a pretty a pretty solid favorite to win the Big 12, at least in the regular season, and then whatever happens in the last game happens. But uh, I don't know. Again, maybe that's just me looking at what's happened over time. And for whatever reason, it seems like when it needs to bounce OU's way, it does. And I, I don't really know why I would expect 2022 to be any different. Yeah, I, I certainly think that the favorite, and I – I guess I was talking more less about the win total, more about the Big 12, which you, you seem to think they're the prohibitive favorite in the Big 12. And I, I'm certainly think I certainly agree that they're the favorite. I just think they're more vulnerable than they've been, gosh, in a long time with it, with the new head coach, with no Lincoln Riley on the offensive side. They've got stuff to figure out on both sides of the football now. Now they still have talent. I'm not arguing that. I don't know. I just I think they're more vulnerable than they've been in, in a lot of years prior. So. I, I hope you're right. It would be absolutely great if you were right about that. But they do get to play the same Big 12 I was saying that's down. That, that gives Oklahoma State a lot of wins on the schedule too. So that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, did you see this tweet from Oklahoma State? I guess there's going to be a new field put in play as far as like what the, the field actually looks like. And they put it to a vote. And Oklahoma State's Twitter account put up a poll. There's uh, two of the fields have the Curse of Cowboys in the end zones. One in particular has black, other has orange. But the black field in the end zones has a kind of an outline of the state of Oklahoma, which I really liked. There's also an orange field and then a Curse of Cowboys at midfield with just the typical block lettering. 
in the end zones, but the, the orange field kind of burns the retinas when you look at it, Colby, but what was your favorite right now? The, uh, I guess the poll results are in the, the black end zones with the curse of Cowboys with the, the state of Oklahoma at midfield one, the second place vocator was the orange field, but which one did you like Colby? Uh, I like anything that has curse of Cowboys in the end zones. The curse of Cowboys have been such a massive hit. Everybody loves the curse of Cowboys. So uh, pretty much anything that gives me that also don't give me an all orange field. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. You play on green turf, white, uh, white lines, white numbering, and then you can do whatever you want with the end zones and your midfield logo and all that stuff. So uh, green grass, white stripes, white numbering, and then give me cursive cowboys in the end zones and I'll be happy. If I had to pick a color combo for cursive cowboys in the end zones, I'd probably go orange end zones, white writing for the cursive cowboys. Choice. But let me, let me just ask you about the cursive cowboys. Like I grew up, that was like my favorite team with the Doug, the Doug Gottlieb team, the Desmond Mason team, where they wore the, the Curse of Cowboys in the uniform. It kind of came and went. They were gone by – it was a very short stint. They wore them in 2000 – or 99 through about 2002. But then by 03, they went to the uh, alarm clock font, and that's when they had the great run of the Final Fours. Curse of Cowboys was just kind of this thing that was kind of in the, the shadows. It, it came and went. It, everyone loved it, and it was gone, and it was just this vintage thing. It certainly seems the university is trumpeting this. Uh, they're putting it on polos. They're putting it on hats. I don't know why it went away in such a short period of time, but it, it certainly pe- appears to be back in the rotation as one of their main logos, and I, I certainly love that. Uh, yeah, I do too. I mean, they're really embracing it. Like you said, it's it's one of those things that they don't want it to be a flash in the pan this time, clearly. It has caught on with the fan base. Everybody loves it. You can put it on apparel. You can put it on hats, shirts, whatever the case may be. People are going to buy it. Put it in the end zones. Why not? People will love it. Uh, and, and based on the results of the poll, which, like you said, 7,300 votes in the poll and uh, black script end zones is winning. So people like the script. I will say a disturbing number of people voted for an all orange turf field. And I've just got to say, I think that that is a, uh, a fun little quirky idea. I think if that actually happened, everyone would hate it. So let's, again, let's stray as far away from that as we can. The part of me wanted to choose violence and choose the orange <laughs> field just to, you know, look like Oklahoma state's treated like a redheaded stepchild by the sport of college football. We've talked about that. For years, I mean, they always get the short end of the stick from the national media. They always get the short end of the stick, seemingly from the the pollsters. Uh, <laughs> people hate orange anyway. Only like anytime you talk to someone from you know our rivals at Oklahoma or elsewhere, they always just say orange just isn't a good color. And to them, I just say, well, look, Oklahoma State people view the color orange with affinity, with nostalgia. It just, the color orange reminds you of the school that you love, that you spent so much time at, of obviously the football and basketball teams and all the teams in Stillwater. It's just, it's a, it's a color that Oklahoma State fans identify with. So why not make the field orange, Colby? It reminds me of the Gary Busey thing they put on the Jumbotron where it was orange and just bright and scary, just why not wear all orange, go orange on the field and go full 
uh, Boise State with it, which would bring some ridicule, I understand. But part of me, Colby, really wanted to say, you know what? Just do it. Just go for it. See, but I'm glad that you brought up Boise State because I feel like going with a field that way, it's very small time, it feels like to me. I don't know. I, I just feel like you go with that field and all of a sudden – you're, you're saying, hey, look at me, look at me, big, big, loud field. You know, Boise did that for a while. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'm out on the, uh, the orange field. Oklahoma State uh, doesn't need that extra attention. I think they're good. No, I'm, I'm mostly joking because that's been my take on Boise forever. And you, you see a school like in Eastern Washington with a red field. That is kind of a small-time move. And I, I do think it's beneath Oklahoma State. It was just kind of fun to look at on my computer screen. I don't think they'll do that. And I, I certainly don't think they should, but if I had to go with it, I, I kind of think they'll go with the, uh, the orange end zones with the curse of Cowboys and the, and the brand. I don't think there's a lot going on with the state of Oklahoma, the brand, and then the, the curse of Cowboys with the black end zones. I think they'll go more, they'll go a little cleaner with the uh, curse of Cowboys and then the, the brand at midfield. I kind of like that one the best. Uh, yeah. I like that one too. So I'm, I'm good with that. Um, yeah, I, I think it'll be exciting to have something new. Uh, we, Colby, we somehow haven't talked about Isaiah likely transferring to Ohio state. Uh, he did graduate. I saw a picture with him and, and Mike Boynton at graduation, which is a cool story. And certainly, uh, anytime a guy is able to get his degree, that's a, that's a big story and, and worth, worth lauding, but he, he's going to Ohio state. I thought it was an interesting move. Certainly Ohio state's a, a big name in a big conference and you know, the big 10 gets a lot of love as we all know. What did you think about uh, him trading one OSU for the other? Uh, yeah, I thought, I don't know really what I thought. I saw that and I'm like, Ohio state really it's, you know, he didn't go to a basketball power. It's not like he's ring chasing. I mean, Ohio state's a good team. Um, I, I guess he'll fit in, you know, big 10 basketball, get out there, be a bruiser, be a bully, you know, go play Iowa and, and, and bang around with those guys. That's kind of what ice does. Um, I think you'll have success at Ohio state and, and I wish him nothing but success. I hope everybody else does as well. He graduated from Oklahoma state. Uh, he, he did more than his fair share of putting in his time in Stillwater. So uh, yeah, I, I thought it was just odd. I don't know. Maybe that, that should have a, a power five school should have been maybe more on my radar, but, yeah, I was a little surprised, but I hope he has success up there. A little surprised too, but I would much rather see him go to a, you know, a blue blood name in Ohio State. A power, more so than the blue blood thing, but more going to a power five school. Uh, I thought that was good to see. If you're going to leave Oklahoma State, you might as well go to another power five. So I like that. I just, there's so many ways to look at Isaiah Likely as a player. I mean, he kind of turned into a, an Andre Robertson type at Oklahoma State by the end of his career, where if he was on the floor, he just kind of killed your offense. You're playing four on five offensively. He did bring a lot to the table and, and could pop uh, and have a, you know, a double-digit scoring game. And then the other way to look at him, if you're Ohio State fans, you just look at the way he was, you know, honorable mention all Big 12. He was on the Team USA with Cade Cunningham and played a lot on that team. He was one of OSU, OSU's best players uh, in that time when he was able to make Team USA. He's had a very up and down career. So Ohio State really shouldn't know what they are getting, but I don't know. The way his career has gone up and down and up and down, I just, I don't, I still don't know what to make of him. And I do wish him the best, but I, I do wonder what he will do at Ohio State. Uh, yeah, I do too. You know, his game, 
I don't know. We, we talked about it at times last year with the inability to shoot and, you know, that affects your spacing and some other things, but he does so many other things. Well, it's just, he's, he's a little bit of a square peg in a round hole with the modern game, the way everybody shoots, but you know, he's, he's a good basketball player without being a good shooter. And that's easier said than done these days. Yeah. Uh, what'd you make of all the transfers? Oklahoma state's kind of turned it into the Sun Belt. Is this what we want Oklahoma state basketball to be Colby? A uh, bunch of transfers from the Sun Belt. I mean, that's one way to look at it. I, certainly, these guys have a lot of attributes they bring to the table. Some of them are good shooters. A, a lot of them are good scorers. And there's a lot to like about the transfers they brought in. It's just wild to take a step back and just look at it at a surface level, Colby, that Oklahoma State basketball now is just they're having players leave and they're just bringing in a bunch of mid-major types from the Sun Belt. Kind of weird yeah, to think it about is. it that you way. Know, the transfer portal is changing everything. It's just, it's totally wild. They're going out and getting some of these other guys that you probably haven't really heard of and losing a lot of the guys that you've gotten really familiar with. I know for the fan base, Rondell Walker was one that probably hurt a little bit. He was kind of a fan favorite. He's a local kid, right? Uh, Putnam City comes out. He's done some great things. You remember uh, his freshman year, whenever Cade throws it up the floor to him and he goes, up and under for the finger roll and, and gets the game-winning bucket against Kansas. You know, stuff like that, just big-time moments for an in-state kid. That, that stuff still means something, uh, but the transfer portals changed things. It, it didn't go well for Rondell this year at Oklahoma State. Uh, minutes inconsistency. Oklahoma State brought in some other guys that, uh, you, you know, kind of play the same position that Rondell does and do a lot of the same things. So it, it just wasn't working for him. I know that one definitely hurt, but – it's just new look college basketball and, you know, guys go out, guys come in. It's, it's going to be different. Uh, the days of rooting for John Lucas and Joey Graham and Stephen Graham and Ivan McFarlane, uh, you know, the guys of rooting for those guys for four years and watching them grow together into something special. Those days are gone, Carson. And it, it is sad uh, because that was an incredible time, but things are changing and you can either get used to it or uh, you can be upset about it. So uh, I think we're all just kind of slowly getting used to it and trying to manage our emotions and expectations along the way. Yeah, I've got more on NIL and, and bullets and BBs. So let's move on to baseball. Uh, you mentioned a big series coming up with Texas Tech starting here in just about 30 minutes. They'll, uh, they'll start playing against Texas Tech in the three-game series. I wanted to touch on... A guy who's taking on what this article calls Paul Bunyan-like proportions is the Griffin Dorshin kid. We've, we've touched on him a lot. I called him a mix of um, uh, Brian Bosworth and Pete Incavilia with his home run prowess and just the, the overall look of the guy with his, his blonde mohawk or his bleach blonde mohawk. A great article in here from uh, Jacob Unruh in the Oklahoman about him and just a lot of quotes about his, you know, his size. He's six foot four, 250. He just he hit about a million home runs over the weekend. I mean, just this guy just hits so many home runs in such epic fashion that, dare I say, Colby, he's the first real star player, and I mean star, that Oklahoma State baseballs had that that gets you talking in in quite some time. Yeah, Carson, this guy is absolutely awesome. Some of these highlights of his home runs, it looks like it's just a flick. It looks like he's just waving at the ball. And it comes off the barrel, and it just goes and goes and goes. The one he hit at O'Bray, I don't even remember. I think it was against uh, was Southeast Missouri State last weekend. I mean, 
the left fielder barely moved. It was like his feet were in concrete. He knew that thing was in the parking lot, and it was so far gone. Everybody knew it. He just uh, – the grand slam against Texas a couple of weeks ago in the sweep down in Austin. He – since he came back into the lineup, you know, another thing people don't realize, uh, I grew up playing baseball. It was my first love. My grandpa was a baseball coach. You get a hitter like Griffin Dershing in the middle of your lineup, it changes things for everybody else too. Nolan McLean, he starts seeing better pitches. Marcus Brown starts seeing better pitches. All these guys start seeing better pitches because guess what? You don't want to have to pitch to Griffin Dershing in a big-time moment with guys on base. Just ask Texas. He's, he's kind of turning into almost a folk hero in Stillwater. You know, he almost never has his hat on. We went to a game up there a few weeks ago. He almost never has his hat on, making sure that you can see uh, that bright blonde mohawk. And he's like, look, this is just me. I'm just me. I'm just myself. And it is what it is. And I, I love it. I love the personality. I love the character. And like you said, I, I like the fact that Oklahoma State finally has that guy on the baseball side that is not only a really good player, but also has the personality and the character to seemingly become a star. Uh, so, yeah, Griffin Dershing is phenomenal for Oklahoma State baseball. I'm glad you mentioned kind of the way he makes home runs look effortless in a way that it almost looks like he stops his swing. It looks like he kind of saws it off himself. He kind of does a very short follow-through to where – but, like, when you watch the result, that home run he had over um, last weekend – where the left fielder didn't even move, didn't even move a muscle. He just stood there and, and, and like, like a statue out in left field because he knew the ball yep. was hit about 500 feet. It was incredible. My dad and I were just kind of cackling because Oklahoma State baseball kept just tweeting out the links to his. He, he hit a couple that game, and just both of them look like he barely follows through with the bat. Can you ever remember a guy that that's hit home runs that way? I I, I was struggling to come up with a comparison. Yeah, boy, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, at the professional level, you remember Chase Utley for the Phillies had that little chopped off swing? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I, that's one guy. I don't remember a lot of guys doing it, so I was just struggling to come up with even one example. That's a good one. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give myself a little bit of credit for pulling uh, Chase Utley off the top of the dome that's for uh, chopped off baseball swings. Yeah, that might be worth a bullet yourself. But um, <laughs> you also mentioned just kind of the character he is, and that's why I mentioned the the article in the Oklahoman. He, while he is this big, you know, Hulk of freak of a man, as I I kept tweeting out every with every home run that that famous Joe Rogan reference I I referenced on on the podcast. I pulled the video from it. He's talking about Vikings breeding Vikings for like hundreds of years. Sorry, there's my alarm going off. Uh, Vikings. You know, he's like from this direct descendant of Viking warrior blood. He's just, you know, not not everyone Colby is just genetically built the way he is. Six foot four, two fifty. Like, there's a lot of six foot four guys who can't, who don't look like he does. And you can lift a lot of weights as much as you want and still not be built the way he is. Just that's just genetics in a lot of ways. But what's what's funny about him is he's kind of a gentle giant. He's a very friendly guy. He's into like anime you know the cartoon stuff which i never really got into myself but hey i'm not judging i uh, certainly don't want griffin coming after me but he's kind of become this kind of like you know influencer on the team like he, guys just kind of rally around him he's organized you know texas hold'em pickup games or uh, texas holder poker games not pickup games but uh it's just he's just kind of an interesting cat but again i i don't i'm struggling to come up with a guy who has this much star power 
from OSU baseball. I, you know, the guys that come to mind just for me, guys when I was really following OSU baseball, you know, Rebel Riddling comes to mind because the name was so catchy, and he was actually a really good player. Uh, Jordy Mercer is one of the better players to come through Oklahoma State in a long time. I don't know, guys have – there's probably some more recent examples that are slipping my mind, but those are the guys that have always stood out to me. But do you think he's one of the bigger stars to come – like – Who's the last star you can remember that, that would compare to this guy? Because he's he's taken on a life of his own, I guess is what I'm getting at. The last one, I was just fixing to talk about how most of the guys that you think of whenever you think of Oklahoma State baseball are the guys from back in the day. It's it's Pete Incavilia. It's Robin Ventura, obviously, who's now back as a student assistant. I mean, even, even a little more recent, obviously, because of what he's gone on to do, becoming the head coach. You think about Josh Holliday and his career at Oklahoma State. I, uh, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, real stars, like superstars. Not, not great players. Like you said, Jordy Mercer's a great player. There have been other, uh, other great players at Oklahoma State. Donnie Walton, uh, you know, was a really good player. Yeah, um, Walton, Walton's the one I was trying to think of and couldn't. And I was like, there's got to be someone more, more recent. Yeah, he, so, he certainly would qualify. Some of those teams from the, the early, just past 2010 to kind of 2015 era, Sawyer Saxon uh, was, was a little guy that people liked. Tim Arakawa from Hawaii. People really liked him. He had some personality and some character. But uh, I think I think Griff might take the cake. Yeah, because you were referencing like legends like Inky and Ventura. Like those guys are on a way different stratosphere yeah. than than this guy. But again, he just he's got the looks. He hits he hits bombs, which always catches attention. So he he's been a lot of fun to follow. And, and OSU baseball has a big series against Texas Tech. Uh, starting at about six o'clock on on Friday at Stillwater in a bright stadium, so it's gonna be a fun weekend. Are you are you making it down to uh, or making it up rather to Stillwater for the weekend? Any, at all? I am not gonna be able to make it up to Stillwater for the so weekend. You got the PGA you, to worry about. <laughs> well, I, I so I'm working, so I'm actually working. I uh, work today. I work tomorrow and Sunday, and then Monday morning, bright and early, head to Tulsa uh, and and Carson. So my wife's from Tulsa, and all of her family's up there, and only her parents have met the baby so far so she's going with me baby's going with me and she's gonna go hang out with family all day every day while i'm at the golf course uh and then we've got a hotel at night but we were talking about it earlier like running down the list of things that we have to pack the amount of things that a baby needs for a week is just i mean we've got an suv and it's going to be packed to the brim full of baby stuff fortunately the uh hotel i called them earlier and they have like roll away cribs so we don't have to bring anything for her to sleep in that was a big lifesaver but we have got so much packing to do sunday it'll probably be an all-day event i can't even fathom how much a how much stuff you have to pack for a baby and b how much goodwill or i guess um how much money in the bank your wife is building up with, with all of the coverage you're going to have to do for the PGA championship, taking a new job with the golf channel, 73rd hole podcast, the PGA championship up in Tulsa, right next to, you know, where all her family is, but you're going to be so slammed and busy. I can't imagine how much debt you're, you're piling up to your wife with having a newborn with all of this stuff, career wise and job wise and, and golf wise going on right now. I, I can't even imagine all of the things that she's going to be uh, stockpiling in her arsenal to use against you in the, in the near future. Yeah, she's got a ton of it because it, it all kind of has been a whirlwind, all happening at the same time. It's like 
you know, we're going to Tulsa for a full week, uh, seven nights, and I'm not going to see any family. I'm not going to be around at all. I'll be in the hotel to sleep at night and back up at 6 a.m. to get to the golf course the next morning. Uh, might try to get there even earlier on Wednesday. Tiger likes to play early practice rounds on Wednesday, but gets out there at the range before the sun comes up. So I might try to meet him there. But, uh, yeah, Carson, you, you've met my wife. She's the absolute goat, uh, and she's been great. Fortunately, she has good maternity leave. So it's all worked out. But, yes, it's, it's been a very busy time uh, with, with things happening career-wise right as our first child has entered the world. You, you did marry well. She's very understanding and, and a really, really awesome person. I've been, enjoyed getting to know her uh, recently. Uh, yeah, you married really well. And, and again, I'm, I'm, I know she's understanding, but just I, I can't imagine having a newborn, taking a new job. Oh, by the way, the PGA is in Tulsa. Uh, oh, by the way, I have a new job at Golf Channel. Oh, by the way, I have a golf podcast. And I still have to do the Pistols Firing podcast. In addition to all of that, my head's spinning just reciting all of those things. But uh, you're doing a great job. Let's get two bullets and BBs. Uh, I'll, I guess I'll just open the floor to you, Mr. Busy Man. What you got for uh, your, your bullet this week? Uh, this was an easy one for me, Carson. I was out at Carson Creek, speaking of of busy and covering golf. I was out at Karsten Creek all day on Wednesday for the final round of that regional. And I just want to, for, for people who don't understand what this Oklahoma State women's golf program has gone through this semester, you know, this is a team that was national runner up a year ago. They were one match against Ole Miss away from winning a national championship. They come into the season, they are I mean, they're one of the favorites. They're a juggernaut. They win all four tournaments they play in the fall, including the East Lake Cup, which is a big deal televised on Golf Channel. And then you make the turn for the second semester. Kaylee McGinty, one of the leading scorers in the entire country for Oklahoma State, decides that she is going to transfer. She hops in the portal. She's gone. Isabella Fierro, another one of the leaders on that team. She hops in the portal. She's gone. So then you, you start getting into the season. And then in March, a freshman named Clements Martin suffers a back injury. Clements Martin had played in six tournaments as a freshman. Her worst finish in six tournaments as an individual was T22. She's a really good player. She goes out with a back injury, and Coach Robertson, you know, he, he puts a lineup together, and these girls have just stepped up to the plate. Liana Bailey, who was not a starter in the fall, won the Big 12 championship. Think about that. She was not a starter in the fall. She won the Big 12 championship as an individual. Madison Henson-Tolshard goes out at Karsten Creek this week. She wins the regional as an individual, and Oklahoma State advances to the national championship once again, which is not as easy as it may seem in collegiate golf. Of the four teams who were in the semifinals last year at Greyhawk for the national championships, only Oklahoma State advanced out of regionals and made it back to the NCAAs this year at Greyhawk. So cannot say enough about how special of an accomplishment that is for a team who has gone through a lot. So major bullet goes to Oklahoma State women's golf. That's big time. I mean, you, I that's a like, you know, the, the word adversity gets thrown around, particularly in the game of golf when you're watching the PGA. It's like, oh, this guy's dealt with a lot of adversity when really they've they've just done something wrong and had to, you know, pay their repentance and, and play good golf. That, like, they, they've OSU women's team has faced actually true adversity this season, and that's that's a tremendous accomplishment. So that, that's a great bullet. Uh, my bullet's going to the OSU softball. Uh, they made it to the semifinals. The, Colby, they've, they've battled what we like to call the, the cold bat syndrome. You know, their, their bats have gotten really cold lately. It's a, uh, they haven't scored more than three runs in a game since, let's see here, April 
April, uh, let's see here. The Cowgirls haven't scored more than three runs in a game since their 12 to one win in, against Tulsa on April 20th. And they struggled against Kansas, but they did get the job done. Their pitching was a huge part of that. And Kenny Gajewski and them are just trying to overcome the cold bats and, and get another crack at, uh, at Oklahoma more than likely in the, uh, Big 12 title game who, who really swept them in the, uh, the regular season matchup. But again, shout out to the Oshi softball team. They're, they have the number two seed. They've had a great season. They've got the, you know, as great, like we all talk about the, the 800 pound gorilla that OU football is that they got to deal with. Like OU softball is probably even a bigger gorilla because they're winning more national championships. They're not just winning the conference title. They're winning the national title. So that hopefully they can get another crack at them in, in the title game and, They'll face the they'll, – they'll play again um, here very shortly in the, in the softball tournament going on at the Big 12, Big 12 tournament. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. For my BB, Carson, I'm going to go national. And, you know, I, I saw some things from last night in the NBA that really bothered me. And it all came from the Philadelphia 76ers, all of it. Carson, in, in sports, basketball, football, baseball, don't care whatever it is, team sports – cohesion chemistry all that stuff matters it's not just a, a pot that you just throw ingredients in and you immediately have a perfect meal it, it's like we talked about earlier with john lucas and joey graham and, and ivan mcfarland and those guys back in the day and the philadelphia 76ers number one as soon as that game started you got the halftime those guys were ready to go to cabo second half was a formality they'd already booked their flights they'd already talked to their wives at halftime they're ready to go on vacation and it showed in the second half but carson i hate absolutely hate 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 people in sports who want to blame everybody else when things go wrong refuse to take accountability for their own actions their own shortcomings and after the game last night Joel Embiid you know the former Kansas star who I watched play in Stillwater one time and laid a big fat egg the one time I watched him play in Stillwater and Oklahoma State beat him Joel Embiid yeah, Joel Embiid takes to the podium to, to basically say, well, I thought that I was getting Houston James Harden, and he's just not that guy anymore, so we're going to have to to temper our expectations uh, based on that. And then Doc Rivers comes out and talks about how well he coached and, and, and all the adversity and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, come on. It just – Everything about what I saw from the Philadelphia 76ers last night, Carson, rubbed me the wrong way because, to, to me, their whole mindset as an organization, as a team, MB, Doc Rivers, all that stuff, that is what is wrong with sports. And as I was watching it last night, I was listening to a podcast earlier talking about it. I read a story about it earlier. I'm seeing all the quotes. It was bugging me. And I thought to myself, I'm like, me and Carson are recording this afternoon, and I need to talk about this because they have gotten under my skin with their lack of accountability and their just seemingly unwillingness to care about, you know, accomplishing the, the highest feat in, in their pro- profession. So uh, big fat BB to the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, I, you almost changed my opinion. I think you kind of changed my opinion on the Sixers. Like I was – because I, I thought you were going to go uh, BB just for James Harden being the sissy that he is and the guy that's, you know, pretty gutless when it comes to the playoff time. And, and Well, there's that time. too. And while the, all that's true, I was just looking up Embiid's game log as you were talking, and he averaged, let's see here, 19.8 points per game on 45% field goal percentage on 14% three-point percentage. Um you can talk all you want about coaching and about supporting casts, 
but playoff series are won by the best player in the series. And Joel Embiid was an MVP candidate. Many people thought he should have won the MVP over Nikola Jokic. Those are horrible numbers from one of the best players in the NBA. I mean, for the best player on your team, the best player in the NBA, in some of people's opinions, to score 19 points on 45% shooting from a big man, a guy that has proven to be a decent three-point shooter over his career, that's terrible. That's why, like, when everyone wanted to blame Kevin Durant supporting Cavs for the Thunder, like, Kevin Durant was terrible the year they the, – the entire playoffs that they got – that they lost the 3-1 lead to the Warriors. He was terrible. Go look it up. It's the worst playoff stretch of his entire career. And they still were up 3-1 in the Western Conference Finals because the supporting cast did their job. And so I, I think you kind of flipped my opinion on that. Joel Embiid was terrible in this series. Harden was worse. I think Sam Presti's looking better and better. Did he get enough in the James Harden trade? Absolutely not. Is James Harden a playoff winner? Absolutely not. We've seen that when the Rockets benched him and came back to beat the Clippers. That was embarrassing. Uh, we can go back to all the playoff failures he's had. There's been just – you almost forget how many there's been. But I just – you may have flipped my opinion on that. I thought you were going to give it to James Harden and you ended up giving it to everybody <laughs> else, which I, was, I did not see coming. That was, <laughs> that was the rabbit out of the hat I wasn't expecting. Oh, yeah. I mean, it could have just as easily gone to James Harden because he certainly fits – in the role of guys who don't accept responsibility for everything. Anytime something goes wrong for James Harden, he just puts on 20 pounds, gets traded, and then drops it the next day and goes back to playing basketball. It's a ridiculous cycle that he's found himself in. And, uh, yeah, they, they all just have kind of gotten what they deserved up there because uh, they just don't do things the right way. And what, one more Thunder note. You know, and I almost wouldn't blame Embiid for leaving Philly and going somewhere else. And, and I'm sure I, I just, I can almost hear the national takes now, you know, comparing him to, to, to Kevin Durant doing that. Now, see, this is why, this is why Kevin Durant, no, 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 no. Kevin Durant made the Western conference finals, what four or five times that they were right there. And all he had to do was deliver and he didn't, and he joined the biggest competition. Like the Sixers have at least, you can make the argument, they, they traded away Jimmy Butler, who just whooped them in, in the playoffs. They, 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 they tried to make Ben Simmons work. The Sixers have failed Joel Embiid. As bad as he played in the series against Miami, the Sixers have failed Joel Embiid. Please don't compare that to Kevin Durant. All right, end of rant. Not even the <laughs> same thing. Uh, my BB is going to just, the, the way the NIL has, I'm going with NIL. And look, I'm not going to make this into a big argument about paying players and all of those things. Just the NIL was a great idea. You know, if you're Johnny Manziel, you want to go sign autographs and make money, you should have the right to do that. Fast forward to where we are now. And it's turned into this Miami booster, just paying players, just, just buying players is where the, we have, flipped what NIL was supposed to be and turned it into straight up boosters paying players to come to their school. That is not why we've started this. It's a complete failure on the NCAA's part. They waited way too long to institute real name image likeness reasons for players to profit. And man, just the way things are going, Colby, it's, it's turned, it's already beyond a circus. 
it's just it's made me lose interest and care in the national landscape of certainly college football basketball's already lost most of my interest based on all the transfers and the transfer portal and all of those things i don't know man just the way this is heading something has to change immediately because we got this miami booster straight up paying player he can argue that it's legal whatever it probably is based on the 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 nincompoops at the NCAA that have allowed this to, to occur. But we've gone away. Like college athletes should be able to profit off their name and their image, not I'm a really good football, basketball, whatever player. Here's a, here's a million-dollar endorsement for Lamborghini dealer here in town. Like that's not why this was created. And it just, it drives me nuts. I hate it. And this sport is going to hell in a handbasket the way it's, the way it's going. And I, I know I sound like I'm 85 years old, but I don't care. It's stupid. You definitely sound like an old, but that's okay. I just want to make sure that yours and other people's anger is directed to the right place. And that Carson is to the NCAA. Shocker. Something is going colossally wrong in college sports. And guess who's to blame? The NCAA. The NCAA had two decades to figure out how this was going to work. They should have known that the day of reckoning was coming. And you know what they did? They sat on their hands and they did nothing. They had no system in place. And guess what happens when there's no system in place and there are no rules in place? People exploit everything for their own gain. And that is what we have seen happen with NIL. And it's all because the NCAA wouldn't do anything. They, they wouldn't have any kind of, of system put in place for this to work effectively. And now they dropped this crap yesterday or the day before, whenever it was, uh, about these new NIL rules. And so much of it is reliant on self-reporting from schools. Guess what, NCAA, Mark Emmert, congrats on your big retirement announcement. No one is going to self-report after what you did to Oklahoma State basketball ever again. Self-reporting is a thing of the past. The NCAA is a joke. I'm now on a separate ramp, but I don't care. The NCAA is a joke, Carson, and they are to blame for the wild, wild west situation that we have now. And it may get worse before it gets better. I think that there will be some rules that you put in at some point that, that kind of help this be what it's meant to be. But if the NCAA is the one responsible for it, I, I have absolutely zero faith that they are going to do it right. And I have every bit of faith that they are going to screw it up at every possible opportunity along the way. The irony of Oklahoma State getting probation and the absolute hammer dropped on them, OSU men's basketball, while literal boosters are paying players upwards of millions of dollars is just the most squinky thing you've ever heard. It's like, of course, of course, Oklahoma State is sitting over here not getting to play in the NCAA tournament, a severe, just absolutely crippling reduction of scholarships. And you've got Texas A&M and Texas football paying players to come to their school. You got the Miami dude out there just running roughshod, having to like 
having players like holding out that are making so much money, they played, they played better than they thought they would. So they're holding out to get more money from that dude at Miami. It's just, it's the most squinky, like, of course this has happened to Oklahoma state thing you've ever heard. And of course, Boone Pickens isn't alive right now. It's the most squinky thing. Cause imagine if Boone Pickens was alive right now, Cole, oh, national contenders. Imagine the checks he'd be writing. Arch Manning would be going to Oklahoma state. <laughs> Boone Pickens would 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 would, dra- would would mail him a blank check with his signature on it and say with a handwritten note from from T Boone going, "Well, son, how, how much you think it's going to cost? Because I don't care. Come come play at OSU. I wanted to win a national title my whole life. I ain't got many years left. I want to win a national title. Come sign on dotted line, Arch Manning. What do you say?" And I think he Arch Manning would be going to Oklahoma State, and that. It's the most squinky thing. They, not only do they get the hammer from NCAA, Boone's not around for when he can finally pay players. Like, are you kidding me? Like, death to squinky. Please, someone kill squinky for good. I'm tired yeah, of it. I mean, there's a pretty good way, Carson, to predict what's going to happen in collegiate sports, and it's just what it, t- take whatever Oklahoma State needs to happen, figure out what the exact opposite of that is, boom, you've got your answer. That's what's going to happen. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, any, any PGA talk we want to get into before we let you go? Uh, Oklahoma state guys, any, anybody you're giving a chance to next week, Hovland, uh, Wolf, Ricky will be there as well by way of his, uh, high finish at last year's PGA championship, Taylor Gooch, uh, Alex Noren, any of those guys get you excited? Yeah, I'm, I haven't done all my research yet, but I'm red hot on my bets. As you know, I've been sending you my winnings via text. <laughs> uh, nailed the first round leader, Sebastian Munoz, who fired a 60. I was like, it's rare you can count a first round leader winner uh, when only half the wave's gone off because you know no one's shooting a 59. Like, that was a great feeling. Although I didn't want to jinx it and text you early, so I didn't. <laughs> so I wasn't feeling, <laughs> been feeling that good. But uh, I've been having a lot of success doing research. I haven't dove totally into all my research and strokes gained data yet. I've been been red hot on, on my golf betting. So I'll figure out which OSU guy I like best. Um, probably as the, as the days ahead linger and I get to have more time to dive into it. Um, but just as far as Southern Hills concerned, I mean, obviously Victor's probably has the lowest odds, the OSU guys, Taylor Gooch right there. I think Gooch's odds have dropped. I, I got him at 90 to one. I think his odds have dropped down to 60 uh, last time I checked. So he, he's going to be, it's a great course for Taylor where you don't have to bomb it. You just stay in the fairway. He'll, he'll club down to three wood. He likes to hit three wood off the tee more than most pros. I really like Taylor probably more than, than Victor at this particular course, Cole, because I wanted to bounce this off you for our folks going up Southern Hills. Obviously, driving accuracy. And for me, I think approach play is important at every tournament. That's going to be number one, no matter what stat you want to look at. But so let's put that one for stat you're looking at coming into the week for OSU guys and even at the field at large. Approach play, driving accuracy. And for me, Colby, it's very much like Augusta. The way Gil Hans has redone Southern Hills, the spots you can hit on greens are five to seven feet in some instances. Like there are tiny little windows on the greens to hit. And I just think you're around the green game. Certainly your approach play, hitting those tight windows is paramount. But just guys who are able to get up and down from crazy angles like at Augusta, to me, is the number one thing I'm looking at this week. And that's why I really don't like Victor this week at at Southern Hills. 
Yeah, I, I don't like Victor at Southern Hills. I know it, it's home, and I'm sure he'll feel comfortable. He was out at Carson Creek uh, yesterday playing with the, the, the team out lot. there. Even, he's played there a lot. I know that for a fact. He's been up there a lot uh, over the last year playing up there with just, you know, friends and just having living in Oklahoma. He can get up there anytime he wants. Yeah, he has. And by the way, it was pretty cool uh, being in the clubhouse Wednesday and seeing the uh, the 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 trophies, his Hero World Challenge trophies. They had some other stuff up there, picture of Tiger and uh, and Victor. Some cool stuff up there with with "Do Not Touch" signs at all Karsten, over it. Right? So, uh, at, at Karsten, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, saw that. it was, cool. it was it's like cool. his own personal trophy case up there at the Carson Creek Pro Shop. Yeah, by the way, I should have uh, given a secondary bullet to head professional at uh, at Karsten Creek, Rob Land. I left all of our we, we, the 73rd Hole podcast we recorded up there on Wednesday. We had a great interview with Bob Tway. Uh, he and Jim Woodward, Woody, started telling stories about Mike Holder from back in the day, and they were brilliant, so I highly recommend that. Uh, but, yeah, I was busy, and I was doing a million things, and, and – uh, I ran off and I left our soundboard and our headsets and all of our equipment up there. And uh, Rob was was great to get it back to me so that I didn't have to drive back up to Carson. So uh, honorary bullet to Rob Land. But yeah, like you said, I, I don't love Victor's chances to get up, up and down from tough spots at Carson. You really, you've got to stay uh, below the hole. I'm, I'm looking at like uh, Colin Murakawa, Hideki Matsuyama, Justin Thomas, that's the kind of player I'm looking at to, to really be there next week. And then Scotty Scheffler, you know, he says it's his favorite course. Uh, had a triple bogey today in the Byron Nelson and still still shot 68. He's just kind of on on autopilot right now. So uh, I think if if I were to throw the names out that I love right now, top of my head, it'd be Morikawa, Matsuyama, Justin Thomas, Scotty Scheffler. I mean, we've been hanging out too long. Those are all the guys that I like. Going to the that's woods. bad news that's really bad news i'm going to finally get you off of your heater that you're on no i mean i i like Tadeki there I, I placed a bet on him to win at southern about six six months ago i mean i i think it's a perfect place for him so i love Hideki there um the putting's gonna be mitigated it's gonna be, it's gonna be firm and fast very much like uh, augusta typically runs and that's that's kind of why I'm I'm starting to get on a guy that I wasn't expecting at all to be on. I'm saving him in my one and done for St. Andrews, and that's Jordan Spieth. I mean, he's 12 under, I believe, at at the Byron Nelson right now, and I think it's going to play a lot like Augusta. And who has a better track record at Augusta than Jordan Spieth? So I think he's worth some outright bets if for people that that like to gamble on golf. I I really like the way his he's hitting the driver. That's normally his biggest weakness, but that's been his biggest strength lately. It's actually his putting and, and approach plays let him down. Those are his two bread and butters. So I, I'm starting to warm up on, on Spieth as well at Southern Hills. I don't know how you feel about him. Uh, you know, all signs point toward him having a good week, but I don't know. He just he hasn't had a lot of good weeks in majors lately. I just – I'm still hesitant to go there. So if you want to go there, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you do it for both of us because I don't think I'm ready. He did miss the cut at Augusta where he's been so great at it. So I just think he's playing better lately than he was coming into that week. But we got plenty of time to talk Southern Hills and certainly the OSU guys. And uh, obviously we hope some some locals are, are in the mix. I remember going to the 07 PGA at Southern and, and Scotty Verplank was, was in the heat of it. It was kind of weird because, you know, Tiger was obviously in the hunt as well. So it's like, you know, Verplank was such a great story because he was getting up there in age and he was the local guy being from Oklahoma State. And, you know, 
going against Tiger, who is obviously the crowd favorite. That was a weird dichotomy there, but hopefully we have some local flavor up there. We'll have plenty of talk, time to talk about Southern Hills and the PGA. Colby, I appreciate you joining me. And uh, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, don't believe so. Great stuff. Hope everything goes well this weekend for Oklahoma State baseball. Big series, top 10 series against Texas Tech. Uh, mm. And then postseason looms. So uh, great stuff. Everybody have a great weekend. Go folks.